We are going to be opening our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, we've been talking about Elijah and his ministry and some of the things that went on. We talked about uh, his trust in the Lord early on as he trusted the Lord to feed him by the brook there with ravens that came and brought him food and uh, such as that. We talked about his determination, how he, he saw the Lord work as he was determined to represent the Lord against the prophets of Baal. We talked about his faith and how he trusted that the Lord was going to send that abundance of rain even before the skies ever opened up. And today we're going to talk about hope. But a lot of times we don't understand hope until we've lost it. We don't understand a lot of times just how important it is to hold on to the hope that we have in Christ until we've come to a place where we've become hopeless. Now, we can laugh at ourselves sometimes about that to some extent, and I think that's a good way to, to, to start out this morning. I, I looked up this week, how many of you are familiar with these motivational posters that they hang in offices? You know, it'll say like, trust, and have a little saying, and have a picture of a cat, or a fish, or a whale, or so. You know what I'm talking about? You've been in a doctor's office or something, you've seen one of those cheesy posters, all right? Well, they, they have, if, if, by the way, if that's all it takes to get you motivated, then, you know, more power to you. But, uh, uh, but, but they also have the opposite of that, that, that I find humorous, are demotivational posters. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those. I, I'm going I'm to tell you about a couple of them starting out this morning. The headline is Despair. And the demotivation is it's always darkest right before it's pitch black. Right. Teamwork, not very helpful if we're all incompetent. You with me? You getting this? You get the gist of it? All right. Adversity, that which doesn't kill us merely postpones the inevitable. All right. You, you, you with me? All right. One more. Problems. No matter how great and destructive your problems may seem now, remember you've probably only seen the tip of the iceberg. Don't that get you going this morning? That's how a lot of us live. Joseph, you got it. Joseph, get, get, I got to, got to laugh at him, all right? A lot of us live in that place of, uh, I won't go as far as to say despair, but at least negativity. We live in that place where we're expecting something to get worse before it gets better. Well, Elijah, in the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning, Elijah hits what I would see as a little bump in the road. He meets some adversity, but because of such the, this great, momentous, uh, mountaintop experience that Elijah just had with the Lord, for some reason this just pulls a rug out from under him. And he goes and he runs away from, from where he is, but the Lord is with him all the way. And if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, hear what I heard, what I told these kids. That at your most hopeless, at your most desperate, at your darkest hour, God has not deserted you. We will run away from the Lord sometimes, but the Lord will never run away from us. And that's what we see in this passage of Scripture. I'm going to read to you uh, verses 1 through 18 in 1 Kings 19. Stand with me, if you will, as we read God's Word together. Now, now, to put it in context, remember, Josh, uh, Elijah just had this great experience. Fire fell from heaven, consumed the sacrifice. 
He went up on the mountaintop and he prayed and God sent this great rain and he ran, charged ahead of Ahab's chariot to go back to the, the kingdom there. And verse 1 of chapter 19 says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed the, all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there was by his head a a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, turned, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. Then he said, Go out and stand in the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle, And went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphath, uh, of Abel, uh, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel... All whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Father, we pray for your remnant. We pray for those who stand firm in your word. And Lord, even when we become hopeless and shattered in our faith, help us to understand that there is hope. That you are always offering a way that we might see your hand at work. In Jesus' name, amen. I like Elijah. I've, I've said that beginning to preach a series that I like the story of Elijah. And one of the things that I like about Elijah is that he is real. 
God shows us in His Word, when He shows us His prophets and His leaders, He shows, us, shows them to us at their best, but He also shows them to us at their worst. And in this particular passage of Scripture, we see Elijah near his worst. We see him at a place where he's become so discouraged that he begins to run away. And I want to tell you, there's, there's probably not a person in this room that cannot identify with Elijah in this passage of Scripture. All of us here at some point in our lives have come to a place where we were shaken at the core of our faith. Where we have stood up one too many times and we felt knocked down one too many times and we've tucked our tail and we've run from our responsibilities. But I want, to, I want us to grow in this passage because I want to tell you, I was looking back, for some reason the Lord brings me back to this passage over and over again. And, and I was looking back, I keep a, a lot of the notes that I use for, for where I've preached sermons before. And I was, as I was looking back through some of my notes, I've preached this passage of Scripture probably a half dozen times or more. And I believe it's because it speaks so clearly to my life, but also to so many other people's lives. I've told you before, I've got to preach to me and let you listen. So, so I hope you'll bear that in mind, that if I say anything this morning that, 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 how do I say this, that steps on your toes, mine have been crushed all week. So we're just all getting on the same page. Amen? But we see Elijah in this passage of Scripture when hope, his hope is at its very bottom. His hope has been defied. Elijah, as I said, had just had this great mountaintop experience. He just saw one of the greatest uh, events to ever take place as God sent fire from heaven and consumed this altar. He just saw God's people rally and defeat the prophets of Baal and take them out and get rid of them. He had just seen the, the drought of three and a half years ended. And, and in his excitement and his enthusiasm, he ran back into the kingdom and he was ready to see God work. He was ready to see God take Jezebel and Ahab have off the throne and do what he knew God wanted to do all along and Jezebel says nah not so fast Mr. Prophet I'm going to kill you one woman one woman defying this prophet of God this prophet who had just defeated 450 prophets of Baal, this prophet who had just seen all these great things happen, and one woman says, nope, that's far enough. And he became afraid. When our hope is defied, when somebody stands up against the hope that we have that lives within us, oftentimes fear enters into our life. life. Uh, uh, Jezebel, her reaction was a hundred miles from what Elijah expected. Can you imagine? Elijah's on a roll. He's on the freight train, buddy. The, the God is moving. Fire's falling. Prophets are, are being slain. You know, droughts are ending. He's running ahead of chariots. All these things. are. He's jumping up and he's going into the kingdom. He's it's about to be over with. And Jezebel says, nope. And he goes, God, that wasn't what I was expecting. You ever been in the midst of a revival, the midst of a resurgence of your spirit? You're on top of the world. You feel like you can swing across hell on a rotten corn stalk and spit in the devil's eye and somebody defies you and you go, oh, that wasn't what I expected. 
Something about being on that mountaintop and then crashing to the bottom fills us with fear. Suddenly we're so afraid to do what God has called us to do. We have to understand that sometimes our victories lead us to lower our guard. Think about that for a second. Sometimes it's when God's working the most and we see Him working the most and we're most excited about doing the work that God has put before us to do that we fail to see that there is opposition to the Word. And we begin to let our guard down. And instead of standing strong in our faith, we get emotional. We get caught up in the emotion of it. And there's nothing wrong with being emotional. I'm an emotional person. You're emotional people. God has planted those emotions in you for a purpose. But when we're led by the emotion instead of the faith, we lead ourselves into fear. And the fear has crept up in Elijah's life and he begins to do something unprofit-like. I don't even know if that's a word, but you'll bear with me, right? His fear turns into flight. And we do this. Look very carefully what it says. She says that if I don't do the same thing to you, if I don't kill you like you've killed the prophets, then, you know, may the gods have their way with me. And when he saw that, verse 3, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And what, look at what he did. Very important. It may not seem important, but it is. He left his servant there. Elijah had one person with him all the time. He had, a, he had a, 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 mate, a manservant that would come with him, an assistant. Elijah became so afraid that he began to push the people that were closest to him away. And we do that. We get afraid, we get caught up in our fear, we begin to lose hope, and the last thing we want is somebody tagging along with us trying to cheer us up. Amen? He said, I'm going to isolate myself. I'm going to get as far away from every human being as I possibly can. And he left even the one that was closest to him. Fear turned into flight, and that flight turned into what we'll call fatalism. Fatalism, apathy. He just didn't care anymore. He went in the span of a few hours from seeing the might of God on, the, on Mount Carmel to crying under a bush in the middle of the desert, praying that God would kill him. I don't know if you can relate to that. I'm sorry you have to hear me talk about it, if not. All right? I can relate to that. We go through that in our lives where we we have these great experiences. We see God at work. We see God heal. We see God save. We see God work. We see these, these great and mighty things happen. And then all of a sudden we just... Looking for a DJ for our pity party. Amen? God, we just get to a point where we're, 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 we're apathy. Apathy is the killer of the Spirit. Apathy is that attitude that I've done enough, I can't do no more, God, just take me home. I'm finished. I want to tell you, as long as God has you here, you ain't finished. God has a purpose for each and every one of His children. God has a plan for every one of us. So in doing this, God shows Elijah something in the end that we, don't, that we get to see right now that he couldn't see at that time. All he wanted to do was lay down and die. 
But notice that God did not desert him. What did God do? How did God react when Elijah flopped down on the ground? Oh, just kill me, God. I'm tired of it. God let him take a nap. Sent an angel to nudge him. When he woke up, there on that rock was a cake of bread and a jar of water. And just as God had fed Elijah beside the brook, Sharon there, as, as he was uh, uh, taken care of during the drought, Elijah was still being taken care of. God was sustaining his most basic needs. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Jesus at the Lord's Supper. You think about the, the, the and this is just coincidental, just came to mind, all right? The, the night before the crucifixion, when the, when the apostles came in, what did Jesus do? The Bible says he took off his robe, he wrapped himself in a towel, and he knelt down, and he washed their feet. Now that's foreign to a lot of us. But what he was doing, he was making the most basic of preparations. He was providing them with the most basic of needs. Walking the dusty roads of Jerusalem, most homes would have a servant that that was their job. As you came in, you'd remove your sandals and they would wash the feet of the guest. And Jesus took on himself that servant mentality and he knelt down and he washed the disciples' feet. Why do I bring that up with this? Because that's what the Lord was doing with Elijah. Very basic need, something that we give very little thought to each and every day. We take for granted that we're going to wake up and get something to eat. And Elijah's need was met. He was sustaining Elijah through the midst of his hopelessness. And he was speaking to Elijah in the midst of his hopelessness. The messenger made it clear that Elijah had actually chosen the harder road. When you run from what God has told you to do, it gets harder. Elijah thought it was going to be hard to stand up to Jezebel. But he was about to take a 40-day trek through the desert to get to the mountain to talk to God that he could have just talked to right where he was. You see, where, are you with me? The angel here, the messenger says, get up and eat because the road you're on is hard. It's going to be a difficult journey. But he strengthened him. Notice in verse 3, it says that he ran for his life. But then in verse 8, it says, So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights. How, how many of you know that just one encounter with the Lord will change your whole attitude? Amen? One encounter with the Lord will change your whole attitude. First, he was running for his life, and he didn't know where he was going. Now he knew where he was going. He was going to the mountain of God. He was going to the presence of the Lord and he had the strength to go on because the Lord had provided it. When hope is defied, we become fearful. We take flight. We get apathetic about our, our, our attitude. But God does not desert us. But look, his hope still be- continued to decline. Proverbs chapter 13 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Let me say that again. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When we lose hope, we lose heart. 
we, we lose the will to go on. And in Elijah, we see uh, what, what y'all remember ABC Sports when we used to come on? The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. All right? We see the agony of defeat. And some of you are like, what is he talking about? All right? But some of you remember. Alton, you remember that, don't you? All right. The agony of defeat. We, we see the agony of defeat in Elijah's life. We see this downward spiral that's taking place. He is just going down, 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 down. And we see his anxiety. He makes it to the mountain. The Lord says, go out and stand in the mouth of the cave. I'm about to come by. I'm about to tell you something. And we see this take place. I mean, we read through this like it's, I mean... I'm guilty of reading through it. I don't know if everybody does. I'm guilty of reading through it like, and then the wind came, and then the earthquake, and then the fire. But that's not what it says. I mean, that's what it says. But that's not how it says it. Put yourself in Elijah's shoes for a second. Forty days travel away from all the people that he knows, hiding out in a cave by himself in the midst of his depression and his despair, and God starts shaking things up. It says there that the, this wind came, and the wind blew so hard that it ripped the rocks in two. It began to split the rocks apart. It was blowing so hard, but God was not, what? In the wind. And then an earthquake, and God was not in the earthquake. And then a fire, and God was not in the fire. Understand what's going on. Elijah was so, had so much anxiety, so much agony, so much depression, that even in the presence of the Lord, he was distressed. And we see this attitude that he had of, of despair. Look at what he says to God when God says, What are you doing here, Elijah? Did you see what he says? Look back in Scripture and look, look at his words. What are you doing here, Elijah? He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. Keep your finger on verse 10. We want to look at that for a minute. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. How many of you know when you, when you start getting in trouble, you start giving God your resume? You do that? Things start going bad. Well, God, I did this and I did that. And I taught at Sunday school and I worked at Bible school and I did this. And it, why is it so hard? Right? I'm the only one. We start giving God our resume. We start telling God everything that we have done and why we don't deserve what we're going through. We justify our work. Now, Elijah had been faithful. To this point, Elijah thinks he's the only one. And he stood firm. He stood bold. He stood against the prophets of Baal. And he starts telling God, this is what I've done, Lord. I've been very zealous for you. Very zealous. That's a word we don't throw around a lot. But he was, he was, I was active. I was energetic. I was doing everything you told me to do, Lord. And he begins to justify his work. When, when we get into a bind, when we get into that place where we start to despair, where we start to have anxiety, we start telling God how good we are. Worse than that, we look around and look at how bad everybody else is. Oh me? 
How come it goes good for such and such, Lord, and it don't go good for me? Look at what I've been doing. I've been trying. I've been going. I've been, I've been, I've been. And we see this attitude in despair. We justify our works and then we begin to blame others. Look at the rest of what he says. Verse 10 there. I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the ch- who broke down the altars? The children of Israel broke down the altars. I've been good, Lord, but they've been bad. We blame others. And then we begin to pity ourselves. He says, I am the only one left. I am the only one left. I'm the only teenager at my school who stands up for Jesus. I'm I'm the only trucker out on the road that stands up for Jesus. I'm the only guy at Winn-Dixie standing up for Jesus. We've all come to that place where we feel that way. We feel like we're the last one. Now God has, He's about to pull back the curtain. He's about to show Elijah some things, but at this point... He's allowing Elijah to hit the bottom so that he can reveal himself. And I thank God for those revelation moments. Think about that for a second. You have had a time in your life, I'm sure, where you have been in despair or you've been in trouble and God has just kind of pulled the curtain back and allowed you to see, hey, I'm still here. I hope you have. If you haven't, pray for it. Because it is tremendous when you realize that God is still at work and it's not about how hard I can work and it's not about what anybody else has done. It's about what God wants to do in us and through us. God revealed His power in these violent examples. He sends the wind that blows the rocks apart. He sends the earthquake that shakes the mountain. He sends the fire that comes down. But God was not in those things. God revealed His presence in the voice of encouragement. And I want you to pay special attention to something here. Because it jumped out at me again. Down to the bottom of verse 12. After the earthquake was a fire, after the fire, a still, small voice. Now I used to think that this was where God asked Him again, What are you doing here, Elijah? But if you read that, that's not what happens. We don't know what God said to Elijah at this point. Think about that for a second. The earthquake comes, the, the, the wind comes, the earthquake comes, the fire comes, and then a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his mantle around his face and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here? Different statement. We don't know what the first voice said. Why is that important? Because it wasn't for us, it was for Elijah. And when you are in the midst of your despair, when you have hit rock bottom, when you've got nowhere to look but up, God will have a word for you. And it's not going to apply to your neighbor, it's not going to apply to your spouse, it's not going to apply to your children, it's going to be just for you. And it's not going to be violent and it's not going to be strong and it's not going to be overwhelming and powerful. It's just going to simply be a whisper. I'm still here. I think about Paul in the New Testament. When Paul was at his worst and he was in prison and 
God just spoke and said, no, Paul, you're going to Rome. I've got a job for you. You've still got something I need you to do. I look, oh, thank God for those moments. Oh, just, just overwhelmed just thinking of so many times when I just want to throw in the towel, just want to give up. And God just says, I'm here. I'm here. And that's when our hope is deepened. That's when we grow. Now, the first time I read this, I remember years ago when I first read this, I I read it with some confusion because Elijah says the same thing again that he said to begin with. And God doesn't give any response. He lets him say what he says. And he continues. God continues in verse uh, uh, verse 15. It says, Then the Lord said to him, Go, return to Damascus, anoint Haziel king over Syria, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, over Israel, anoint Elisha as a prophet to take your place. Now, why is that important? Because God lets Elijah vent. He lets him get it out of his system. He spends a little time with him in the mountain. He says, Now go back to work. Go back to work. I have got things that you need to do, Mr. Prophet. He gives Elijah specific instructions of what it is he's supposed to be doing. God isn't just on display in the burning altar on top of Mount Carmel. He's at work in the continued mission. See, we all like the mountaintop moments. We all like when we're on fire for the Lord. We all like when God makes Himself known and a boom, boom, kaboom and everything's happening. But we don't so much like the continued work. We, get to, we begin to lose heart when we've got to persevere. But God says, Elijah, just as I was on that mountain and lapped up the water around that altar and consumed the sacrifice with the fire from heaven, just as that needed to be done, this needs to be done. Go and anoint Haziel, king over Syria. Go and anoint Jehu, king over Israel. Do the work that I put before you to do. God is not just on display in the burning altar. He is on display in the work that we have to do. And that's where the church needs to get on board. That's where Christians today need to get on board. We're all looking for that momentous moment. We're all looking for that mountaintop experience. We want to walk into church and we want, you know. But we don't want to just keep doing the work. And sometimes God makes Himself known more in the continued work. In those little bitty things that transpire every day. We can see that God still has a plan for Elijah, God still has a plan for you and I. And we can see that God still has a purpose for Elijah. God chose this particular time in Scripture to reveal to Elijah that he was not alone. God could have, look, Elijah, if you read back, Elijah had an interaction with Obadiah. Obadiah was the man who had hidden all the other prophets of God so Jezebel could, didn't kill them. And Obadiah could have said, Hey, Elijah, I got some guys stashed over here doing the same thing you're doing. 
But God chose not to reveal it to Elijah at that time. I don't want to get bogged down in the weeds of this story, but I want you to understand, God could have told him there were 7,000 other prophets any time that he wanted to, but he chose this time. Because he knew this was the time that Elijah was going to need it the most. (laughs) God chooses his timing perfectly. He could tell you some things today that you'd like to know, but He's going to wait and tell you when you need to know. And and He had a purpose in what was going on. God has a purpose in our failures. He has a purpose in our, 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 our disillusionment. He has a purpose in our despair so that we'll get to the point where we hear what it is that He has to say. And here's something that I gather from this. He chose this time to reveal it to Elijah so that he would know that God still had a special plan for Israel. It was not only applicable to Elijah, but it was applicable to the whole nation. But he also wanted him to know that he had a specific plan for Elijah. Now, like I said, every time I read this, I just get more and more out of it. I love this passage because here's what I grasp out of this today. That Elijah is now understanding that God had him out working the fields while he had 7,000 other guys hid somewhere. He could have chosen any one of them to go, but he chose Elijah. He could have got Obadiah up on the mountain to face the prophets of Baal. He could have got one of these unknown prophets that we don't know anything about up on the mountain to face the prophets of Baal. But Elijah could then look around and say, you know what? God chose me. And church, I want to tell you, God chooses you. Every opportunity that you refuse to serve the Lord is an opportunity missed. Every time you have something in front of you and and, and God gives you that blessing to be a part of it and you back down, you have missed out. But understand this, hopelessness is not the end. I'll close with this story. Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, one of the best known godly servants in our modern time. Serving the Calcutta, India to the, to the lepers and the orphans there. You know her story. After Mother Teresa died, a friend released some letters, that, some correspondence that she had had with Mother Teresa. And it was revealed that the woman struggled with hopelessness. Almost daily, she questioned why God would call her to do something like that. Almost daily, she would even question the very experience of prayer, whether God even heard what it was that she was saying. Yet God used her to reach thousands upon thousands of people with the gospel. Church, I want to tell you, God wants to use you. I praise God for the opportunities He gives me. I love being a pastor. I love being a preacher. But He gives you opportunities that I'll never have. And I plead with you, be aware. Take those opportunities. Glorify God in them so that our hopelessness might diminish.